You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, good morning, King's Church. And it is a privilege to be here today. And I want to say thank you to everybody who hung with, uh, hung with us yesterday. It was, a, it was a big day. It was a long day. Um, I hope you were blessed by it as much as I was blessed by it, and my wife Gina was blessed by it. I really want to applaud you for taking time to really focus on this, this concept of marriage and the beauty of marriage. My prayer today is that we'll walk away with a higher, more compelling, more beautiful, more stunning, more radiant vision of Christ's work in the church through marriage. I also want to say thank you to all the, the singles and the engaged couples who were there yesterday. Again, I know that um, it was a long day, but I applaud you for wanting to raise the temperature and to, to talk about this issue of Christian marriage. Now, it was a great day yesterday, but let me say that this morning's a little more tricky. Okay, there's a li- it's a little bit more tricky this morning as we go through this passage. The passage we just read is a beautiful passage, but let me just be candid with you. There's a lot of uh, potholes here to fall in, right? There's some, there's some thorny issues. So I already know that when you start to approach the topic of marriage and the roles of husband and wife, we, we, th- there's a good chance that many of you in the room, you're thinking to yourself, oh, great, great. We have a sermon on marriage, and I'm not married, so I'm going on Instagram for the next 35 minutes and just get through this because this doesn't apply to me. I know that that's a pitfall, right? That's a temptation. I know that there's also some of you who are here, and you're thinking, great, you're going to talk about husbands, and you're going to talk about wives. My wife's not here. My husband's not here, so I'm settling in to be bored for 35 minutes or frustrated for 35 minutes because they need to hear this, right? If that's you... I understand. Hang with me. Now, I know some of you here, you're single, you want to be married, and you're waiting for the right person to show up, and you're thinking, great, I've been down this road, I've gone through the bad dates, I've gone through the apps, I've gone through everything, and I just find myself feeling more hopeless. And as we talk about the role of husband and wife, it's going to make me feel more hopeless. So for 35 minutes, I'm going to be in despair and depression. I, I understand that. I told you there's a lot of potholes here, isn't there? Oh, there's more. There's more to fall in, believe me, right? Maybe you've been through the devastation of a divorce. You felt the sting and the pain of, of the breakup. And, and you're here and you're like, great. Role of husband, role of, role of wife. Uh, we, we shipwrecked that a long time ago. And now I have the scars and the pain that go with that. I pray Jesus will comfort you this morning. Or maybe you're thinking, you know what? I've been married for a while. We've got it all figured out. Like, this isn't that complicated. It's not that hard. So for 35 minutes, I'm going to be bored and I'm going to correct you where you're wrong because, you know, we've got it figured out. We got it right, right? But here's what I, here's, here's before you fall into those or before I fall into those, can we just have an understanding? This morning, we have that understanding. Here's the understanding. Marriage is a topic that impacts all of us. No matter where you find yourself, marriage is an impact, is is a topic that's going to impact all of us. 
In fact, there's a reason why the seventh commandment is dealing with the concept of marriage because societies that are healthy, they have healthy marriages. They're defined and they function from healthy marriages. So there's a warning here as we go through this, right? Don't check out. I pray you'll see the beauty of this. You'll see the the importance of this, the profound impact this has on all of us. But there's one more warning I want to give. One more warning I want to give. We do sometimes in the church have a tendency perhaps to trend toward idolization of marriage. That we elevate this institution and we make it somehow a functional savior in our life. So I want to warn against that. I want to just say something to to you here today. Marriage is hard. Okay, I've been at it for 28 years. Gina and I have been married 28 years. Marriage is hard. So I want to say that marriage is not an easier state than singleness. But I also want to say this to you today who are single, singleness is hard too. So it's kind of common ground we're working from today, right? One state is not better than the other state, but what they do is they image something, they put something on display that's beautiful and different. So this morning, when we talk about marriage, I want you to understand something. There's this passage that we just read, Ephesians 22 through 33. There's a typology here or a picture of Jesus and his love for his redeemed. So regardless of your relational status, marriage is going to impact you because if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are in a marriage relationship with Christ the nature of the church, we'll see, is put on display through marriage. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses, I'm, I'm going to draw us back to 21 today, verse 21. So if you have a copy of God's Word, please turn there. If it's on your phone, I just ask you, st- stay right on your phone. Don't go to Google or, or Insta or anything. Just stay in the text this morning. We're going to be looking at it. And there's three things that I really hope you will see. Here's been my prayer all week, is that number one, you will see the assurance of Christ's trustworthiness. That's the first thing I'm hoping you're going to see, the assurance of Christ's trustworthiness. He can be trusted, and we can have assurance of that, and you're going to see that put on display in the role of wife. Number two, I pray that you're going to see the tenderness of Christ's salvation. The tenderness of Christ's salvation is made manifest and put on display in the role of husband. And then I pray the third thing that you will see is the powerful triumph of Christ over sin. The powerful triumph of Christ over sin. The, the, what we see in this role of husband and wife and their different functionality in the covenant of marriage, it is putting on display the beautiful promise that we have that Christ has conquered sin and death in the grave. Thanks be to God. So this morning, here's our theme. Christ Jesus is exalted over the visible and the invisible world. Therefore, his followers are to live in a manner distinctly different than the surrounding culture. As you've been going through this uh, series on Ephesians, you've seen some things. You've seen something that in Ephesians, what we are getting is kind of a a backdoor look into what God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit had been imagining from before the creation of the visible and the invisible world. What we're seeing in the book of Ephesians is a a high view of Christ Jesus ruling and reigning in the invisible realms. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 makes it really clear, kind of gives a, a foundation for the entire book of Ephesians. If you have your copy of God's Word, look there. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, we're going to come back to this throughout this sermon. It says, He put all things under His feet and gave Him as the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Oh, just, just let that sit there for a minute and just look at and listen to these words that he put all things under his feet. In Ephesians 1, we learn about what God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit were, were planning to do before the foundations of the world. See, they knew something was going to happen. They knew that sin in the world was going to wreak havoc. That sin in the world would wreak havoc and totally disorder all of the universe. Now, listen, I get it. Some of you, you may be desensitized to the word sin. You might be desensitized to it. And some of you here, and let me just give a sidebar here. Some of you here may not be followers of Jesus. And, and I'm speaking on behalf of Ben and Wesley and the entire church. Welcome. Super glad you're here. My prayer is that you will be persuaded to see the goodness, truth, and the beauty of him. And by the end of our time today, you'll become a follower of his. That's what I hope to persuade you to this morning. Nevertheless, this thing called sin, I don't want you to be desensitized to the word because sometimes I think we, we think of the word sin and, and, and if you're not desensitized to it, you have maybe a, a conflated view of it, right? But sin is, is breaking the moral laws of God, but it's more than that. It's more diabolical than that. Sin is an attempt to overthrow God, to be the authority of my life and to be the authority over everybody else's life. Now, here's why I'm telling you that, because sin is catastrophic to relationships, amen? Like, if, if you're in any kind of relationship, because of the presence of sin, it makes every relationship really difficult. Your relationship primarily between you and God, it's a catastrophic break, sin. Your relationship with you and the, the created order, the world around you, it is disordered that. Your relationship with other people, it is destroyed that. Your relationship with husband and wife, it is disordered that. But thanks be to God, here's what we learn in Ephesians chapter 1 all the way through Ephesians chapter 3, that God in his great mercy, he did something to answer this problem of sin. He came, he lived a sinless life, he died on a cross to take our sin upon himself, to give his righteousness to those who will come. He was buried, and on the third day he resurrected. And Ephesians chapter 1 shows us that he was exalted to the right hand of the Father, and there he is ruling and reigning. And get this, don't miss this. What he's doing in the book of Ephesians is putting everything back into the rightful order. He's reordering. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, he's putting all things into or underneath his feet. Now you go, Dan, I thought this was about marriage. We're getting there. Because if you don't understand that, then when you read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, when it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, here's what's going to happen. You're going to read that, and that's really going to grind your gears, okay? That's going to be really offensive. That's going to be really hard to swallow. But when you put this into the context of what we see, that Christ is putting all things back into their rightful order, in fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, I know Pastor Ben preached on this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. I just want to draw your attention to this in your Bible real quick. It says, therefore, 
Therefore, in light of Jesus ruling and reigning and all that he's done, therefore, it's a conclusion statement. He says, now here's what you can conclude from that. Followers of Jesus are to be what? Imitators of God as beloved children and to walk in love. So now because of what Christ has done, because he's ruling and reigning, those who are his followers or his disciples, you have been commanded, I have been commanded to be imitators of God. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, the context that sets all of this in place is that the apostle Paul is saying, now in light of this, here is how followers of Jesus are to live distinctively different from the culture all around them. Now remember, who Paul is preaching to in this passage. He's preaching to the Ephesians. Now, if you know anything about the city of Ephesus, you know anything about the city of Ephesus, it was an overly promiscuous culture. It was incredibly, in fact, the city of Ephesus, it, it, was, it boasted to have a temple that had more temple prostitutes in it than any other city in the ancient world. So the city of Ephesus with the temple to Artemis was an overly promiscuous culture. And the apostle Paul here says in verses 1 through 21, he's saying, look, this is how, if you're single, this is how you're going to live distinctively different in the midst of a sexually permissive culture. That, should, that resonates with us today, right? Because that's kind of what we're living in. And he's giving this charge to singles in chapters or in verses 1 through 21. And in that call to the single, it's really difficult. It's really hard. And then he's going to show the order of what it's like for married couples to live distinctively different in the midst of a sexually promiscuous culture. And he says this then, verse 21. He makes the call to all Christians, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to, his, to their husbands. So here's the point. The assurance of Christ's trustworthiness is on display in the role of wife. And you say, well, how do you get to that point? Well, let me tell you how you get to that point. Because look, in verse 21, he makes the claim that everybody who is a follower of Jesus must submit to one another out of reverence in Christ. Everyone. Part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, part of what it means, look, just time, time out on this. This is... This is what separates genuine Christianity from Christianish Christianity, cultural Christianity, okay? You understand what I mean by that? Cultural Christianity is kind of like, yeah, I kind of grew up in this thing and it's kind of this thing around, but no, no, no. Here's what it means to be a real follower of Jesus, that I submit in everything to the Lord Jesus. I love him by submitting my life to him and his authority, and I love others by submitting out of reverence to one another. So this call is to first to the church in verse 21. Submitting is a distinctive mark of the Christian faith and it's a call to all followers of Jesus. Now that word submit, I get it, it's a trigger word today. So let's talk about what submit, submit means. It means to yield or consent to, but let's talk about what it doesn't mean. 
Okay, let's talk about what submitting does not mean. Submitting first does not mean shut up and color. Okay, you might not know what I mean by shut up and color, so let me give you an illustration of it. So when I was growing up, Every year we took a family vacation to Disney World and my dad had a big motor home and we lived in Buffalo. So from Buffalo to Orlando, it was about 22 hours in this big motor home, right? And I'd get in the car and my parents would give me coloring books and they would give me, you know, juice boxes and I'd be, you know, ready to roll. And, and we'd get to about Erie, PA, okay? So that's about an hour from Buffalo, okay? <laughs> And, and of course, you know, I'd kind of run up in my Elmer Fudd pajamas and I'd be like, Dad, how much longer? You know what he would say? Shut up and color, right? Because for the next 21 hours, right, every time I would ask, can I ask a question? I just want some information. Dad, can you lead me? It's a shut up and color. None of your business. Okay, submitting is not shut up and color. That's not what the word or the intent here is. In fact, let me just kind of put something in historical context for you. Did you know that when, when, when the God of the Bible revealed himself to the people of Israel, and then later through Jesus into the church, that this radically transformed the way women were viewed in society? This is radical. When you look through the Ten Commandments and you look at the book of Deuteronomy and you look at the commandment that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or thy neighbor's house. Before that, your wife was considered your property part of your house. But there is this distinct difference in the book of Deuteronomy from now for the first time when the God of the Bible reveals himself and he reveals his law and his order. What he's revealing is the elevation and the dignity that women are now for the first time in society put into a place with the full rights and the full, the full rights of, of covenant membership and dignity. So this command is not a command to just shut up in color or a loss of dignity. Number two, this is not a command for women to yield to all men in general. Notice here what it says, to your own husbands. This is not applied to the workplace. It doesn't apply to society in general. It, it, it applies to this context of marriage. And this is not a matter of coercion. In fact, because if you look back to verse 21, why this is so important, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ, this is a voluntary act, a willing act. It is a posture of a renewed heart because the very posture to become a follower of Jesus is to have this heart of yielding and consenting and submitting. See, it was Christ is putting all things back into their rightful order. Look at what it says in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, the word there is kephala, the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Paul is going to use this word in Ephesians four different times, kephala or head, and it has to do with authority or responsibility. So I, I want to not fall into stereotypes here of what this means. It's chief authority or responsibility. Don't let your, don't let your mind go into cultural, cultural stereotypes of this. What you're seeing here is Christ putting all things back into order. See, back in Genesis, and you, we talked about it yesterday at our retreat, but you saw in Genesis, when the sin entered into the world, it brought disorder. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, there's a disordering between the relationship between husband and wife that Eve's desire, as I said yesterday, I read that passage before, and it was like, you know, 
uh, Genesis chapter 3, 16 says part of the curse would be your desire will be for your husband. And I was always like, yeah, <laughs> I like this. And then I found out, no, that's not what it actually means. What it actually means is that there's going to be an authority battle in the home. And, and men, because Adam, our first father, failed and allowed his wife not to, he, he didn't lead the spiritual direction, sin enters in. But here's what we see Christ is doing. He is putting things back into their order. For husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. The call, now look at verse 24, really, this is a great passage here to see what Paul's doing here to kind of get the intent. He says, now the church submits to Christ. The church is put first. Now who's the church? Who's the church? All those who've come in repentance and faith and received Christ as their savior. They are the church. And look what he's saying here. The church submits to Christ. So all followers of Jesus, to become a follower of Jesus, you must submit to Christ. So also, women put this on display. Wives put this on display. So let me give you an illustration of, of what this looks like, submitting, yielding. I like the word yield. We've got these in our city. They put these in about a decade ago. Ben, you remember these things? The turn, the turn styles on Harlem Road. Yeah, okay. So you guys have, uh, you've got those, those turn things, like in the traffic turns. Traffic circles, they're called. Traffic circles. Yeah, nobody can ever figure out what to do with the traffic circles, right? I don't, in Australia, I think you, you have the traffic circles, right? Roundabouts. Roundabouts thank you. <laughs> Roundabouts. Okay. Okay. Americans don't know what to do with roundabouts. They put them in my city, so when you want to get into the roundabout, you have to yield to get in, right? There's traffic in there, and you have to yield to get in. Now, it's not that hard to figure out, but if you've got a backseat driver, oh, let me tell you, because your backseat, if your backseat driver is going, go, 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 you get nervous, right? And you, and, and you start to, but I'm supposed to yield, go. Look at Here's, here's, here's what I'm getting at here. When it says wives submit to their husbands, we don't yield if he's taking us off a spiritual cliff. Here's what I mean by that. If your husband is tempting you to forsake Jesus, to turn away from the gospel, yielding stops. If he's saying, no, we're going to sin. We're going to sin in this. We're going to enjoy sin. You'll never enjoy sin it's a fallacy. You won't. It will take more from you than it ever promises, and it will keep you longer than it ever said it would. If it says sin, no, we don't yield to that. If it's, hey, abandon the church, no, there's not a yielding to that. Look what it says. As the church submits to Christ. This is important because the word here is an indicative. That's important. That is so important. The word submit here is an indicative, which means it indicates something. It's indicating the kind of relationship that followers of Jesus have with their Lord and Savior. Submission to Christ is what distinguishes the Christian faith from Christianish cultural Christianity. To be a Christian, one must yield their life to Christ, submit to the reality that you can't make yourself right with God. Ephesians chapter 2 was talking about that. It is not by works of righteousness 
lest anyone boast. But by his grace, you are saved through what? Faith. You must abandon your attempt to self-salvation and you must trust in his death and his resurrection. You must yield to the fact that you cannot save yourself. You must trust in him. So to, submission to Christ is all about trust. Trusting that he is who he says he is. Trusting in his work of salvation. Trusting that he is the head of creation and he is leading people to a good place. The Holy Spirit here is emphasizing the nature when it, that, husband, that the church submits to Christ. Wives, put this on display in your marriage. So let's make some application points here because I think what we see is a magnificent and beautiful display of the trustworthiness of, trustworthiness of Christ. We yield to him because he's trustworthy. So let's make some application here. First, singles. Support the wives in this church. You can support them by, by encouraging them here, not discouraging them here. Don't make it difficult for your friends in this way. Wives, you're going to see in a moment that this is indicative, but men, there's a command. Husbands, there's, a, there's an imperative or a command to the husband. So wives, you're going to see that in a moment. He has a your husband is going to be given a command from the Holy Spirit through the words of Paul to lead as Christ, lead in love as Christ leads and loves the church. And I just want to say something on behalf of the husbands here, because they may not say it. But the more and more I talk to husbands, I find that, that we're incredibly insecure about leading our wives spiritually. Your husband's probably not going to say that to you, so I'm going to say it for him. He may be insecure in this. So wives, part of what it looks like to yield is your husband may be very insecure in doing this, so don't make it more difficult for him. He may share with you some of the things that he's learning in the Bible, and you may have more Bible knowledge than he does. You may be trained, you may have gone to seminary, you may have training in this, you may know much more of the Bible, you may be more spiritually mature than he is, but he comes and he tells you what he's learning in the Bible, then don't make him feel like an idiot for it. Don't humiliate him for it. Encourage him. Look, your husband may pray like a preschooler, okay? And he didn't know what to say and he's embarrassed about it, but he grabs your hand awkwardly and says, I'm trying here, then applaud him. This is what yielding, isn't it beautiful to see what yielding looks like? It's, it's not what, what we stereotypically think of. Your husband is responsible to Christ to lead. So women, if, single women, if you're here today and you desire to be, marriage, to be married, let these words hit you. Let, let verses 22 through 24 really hit you. Wives, submit to your own husbands because look, it's hard. It's hard. So as, as you recognize that singleness is hard and there's the loneliness in it, it's hard. It's hard for wives submitting to husbands. If you're single, you need grace. And if you're married, you need grace. We all need it. Married state is not better than singleness. It's just image something different. 
Number two, the next thing I wanna see here is the tenderness of Christ's salvation. So through the role of wife, what we're seeing is the beautiful trustworthiness of yielding to the one who is trustworthy and then living that out in the context of marriage. But now we see the tenderness of Christ's salvation. It's, it's presented in the role of husband. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, in the same way husbands should love your wives as your own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. No one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Husbands were given, wives were given an indicative. It indicated something of the nature of all of the Christian faith as we submit to Christ. But husbands, we are given a command an imperative to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Just as the wife's submission is not coercion, neither is the husband's act of loving his wife. When romantic feelings are gone, we still continue to love. The idea is to serve your wife by giving yourself up for her as Christ did the church. Love her the way Christ loves you. So let's take some moments to just think about this and put some some handlebars around it. To love our wives as Christ loves the church. Well, how does Christ love the church? He sacrificed his own self-interest. He sacrificed so we may flourish and live that he gave himself up for our benefit and his joy to present himself to present the church to his father. Men sacrificing our self-interests, sacrificing ourself, it will bring a delight to you and it will bring a joy. To sanctify means to be set apart here. He says that Christ loved his, Christ gave himself up. Christ gave himself up. He sacrificed himself. He surrendered himself that he might sanctify the church, that he might sanctify believers. What that means to sanctify here is to set apart exclusively for him. Side note, one of of the most compelling and controversial aspects of the Christian faith is its exclusivity. Only the Christian faith is saying this. Look, look, there's... Well, other faiths say that. I don't say only, but the Christian faith is saying this. There's only one way to be made right with God through Christ Jesus, the Son. It's an exclusive relationship. This is why marriage is an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman. It's exclusive in this because it's putting this exclusivity of Christ's nature with the church on display. As followers of Jesus, we are called exclusively to worship him. The only way to be right with the Father is through Him. He is the authority over creation, and He is the only one worthy to be worshipped. And He's pledged Himself to save us, and we exclusively are to yield and submit to Him. 
Marriage is an exclusive relationship. Number two, he says that he, he sets them apart, he sanctifies them, and then he cleanses them by washing of water with the word. I've gotten to travel to Israel a few times, and uh, maybe some of you have, and you've, and you've seen these. But in the ancient world, before there was a wedding ceremony, the bride would go into a bath, and she would be immersed in the water, and then brought back up, and then clothed, and dressed, and presented to her husband. And here we get a picture of the cleansing nature that Christ died to cleanse us from our sins, that he died to wash us of our sins, to declare us forgiven and to declare us righteous. Husbands, we are to love our wives the way Christ loves us by forgiving us. Husbands, we are to image Christ by forgiving our wives with the word. It says here, by the washing of water with the word. The word is the gospel. The gospel is the promise of Jesus that we are forgiven. If you are in Christ Jesus, we're forgiven. Not only are we forgiven, we're made righteous. God the Father looks at us through the work of Jesus and declares us right and righteous. And we are his husbands. What it means to sacrificially love our wives is to show her the gospel, put it on display and communicate it to her, constantly reminding her, verbally sharing the gospel, verbally preaching the gospel back. Honey, honey, we're forgiven and right in Christ. Our security is in him. Our sonship and daughtership is in him. Now I'm going to give you two warnings here, husbands, two warnings. The husband is to sacrificially love his wife, but there's two distortions I think that we can fall into. Number one, you can sacrifice and then resent her for it. You can sacrifice and resent her for it. That's not loving the way Christ loves the church. Just as yielding is not shut up in color, sacrifice is not with a spirit of eating wood. You know what I mean by eat wood? You just bite down hard and do it because you got to. That's not what he's talking about here. To love your wife as Christ loves the church is to self-sacrifice for her, for the joy before you, for the joy to present her to God the Father. Husbands, we sacrifice out of spirit of love to prepare our wives to meet Jesus face to face. When Christ went to the cross, Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he would lay down his life. Husbands, it's a Pray for God's grace that sacrificing for your wife is a joy. Number two, and here's a pitfall that I think because of our first father Adam left us with this one. Sometimes we sacrifice out of cowardliness. We're just cowards. And here's what I mean. It's cowardliness, not out of care for her soul. Here's what I mean. Sometimes we can sacrifice or we don't sacrifice, we, we don't call out our wife, we don't say to her, you don't warn her of sin, so you just stay quiet because we don't want to upset her. But we are to sacrifice, even sometimes some momentary comfort or approval for our wife's growth in Christ-likeness. Isn't this beautiful? What a beautiful picture. Wives yielding, husbands living sacrificially. Now, now, now look at, because some of you are going, well, what is it? Well, what does that actually, 
what does it look like, Dan? Tell me what it looks like. Well, don't ask me. Ask the Bible, right? I don't have the answers. It's just, just what Jesus says. Look, at, it says, in the same way husbands should love you, your, or in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. See the word should there? See the word should there? It has to do with indebtedness. Guys, we're indebted to our body, aren't we? Is what I mean. There are times you have an impulse to come over to eat, right? You have this impulse that comes over to you like, I've got this new Wendy's app. I don't know what it is that's come over me, but I get this impulse that I want Frosties. And I'm like, I got to go get a Frosty, right? And you know what I do? I go get my Frosty. That type of impulse that comes over us to eat, that impulse should, the way we give into our body is the way we ought to love our wife with the impulse for her good. We get tired and we nap. We don't deny ourselves that. We get bored. We entertain ourselves that. In the same way those impulses drive us, our impulse is to sacrifice for our wife. It says in the same way, I'm sorry, in verse 29 it says, for no one has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now I know some of you are thinking you've got an objection to that. You're like, "Eh, I don't know. I don't know about that. No one's ever hated their own body. You look through church history. There were people that were living very ascetically. You have people that have self-harmed. But always, always, always that was frowned upon and thought to be something off and and not to be encouraged. Self-harm was never to be encouraged. It wasn't something that was normative. Verses 1 and 2 say, be imitators of Christ, imitators of God. Love God, love your neighbor as as your wife because your wife is your closest neighbor. So let's make some application here. Single men, this is my encouragement to you. If you are not ready to self-sacrifice, this is a high standard. It's a high standard and it elevates. It's very different from the world around us. We're supposed to live distinctively different. Ephesians is getting at distinctively different in a permissive culture. Here's what he's getting at here. This is counter to the world of self-love. It's selfless love. And single guys, if you're not ready to do this, hit pause. Ask Christ to sanctify that before you would move to marriage. Single women, if you're looking for marriage, you're looking for marriage. Can I just tell you how frustrating and hard 20 years of marriage counseling and meeting with couples, you know how frustrating and hard it is to yield to a man who's not willing to self-sacrifice himself to love you as Christ loves the church? Singleness is hard, but you better believe it's hard to live in a relationship where a husband will not love his wife the way Christ loves the church. Men who are married, husbands, make it easy on your wife. Make it easy on her to submit to you because you are loving her the way Christ loves the church. Because here's what you're seeing in these passages. The tenderness of his love is radiantly put on display in the role of husband. In the role of wife, we're seeing the magnificent of his trustworthiness. In the role of husband, you're seeing the radiance of his tenderness on display. And then together, when the man and the woman, man and woman become one flesh, you're seeing Christ's triumph over sin magnified in marriage. Look at these words. Therefore, concluding statement, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. 
This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All the way through Ephesians, all the way through this passage, you've been seeing, or all the way through this book, you've been seeing what Jesus is doing. He's taking separate and distinct things and making them one. Sinners that were far from God, he brings them as one. Jews and Gentiles, he makes them one. Throughout the book of Ephesians, he's using these metaphors of a building, a nation, a family, all of these things. He's bringing separate things and making them one. And now here's this great mystery. It was not known before this that here's what he was doing with marriage. He's putting on display the oneness of Jesus and those he's redeemed. Amen? Isn't this beautiful? Ephesians 3 is showing us that Christ's death and his resurrection, it can unite enemies. It can take distant people, warring enemies, and make them friends. It can take husbands and wives and make them one. It's putting creation back into its order. It's putting sinners back in order with their Savior. It's putting Jews and Gentiles together as one. It's making brothers and sisters Christ's death and resurrection, it is the mystery that God would reconcile the world through himself. Here's the beauty. Marriage puts on display the triumph of Christ over sin, death, and destruction. And I close with this. Brothers and sisters, if there is one thing that our lost world is craving, it's to see this. There's a pang. Our lost world, it, it is compelled by marriages that work, by relationships that work. The longing of our soul, look, you don't, you, 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 may, you may be here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, but I, I think I'm right when I say this. You want your relationships to work, don't you? I've never, never in 20 years of ministry done a pre-marriage counseling session where the couples say, here's what we're looking for. We want to have a great ceremony. We want to get all the gifts. We want to have a great party. And then we want to shipwreck ourselves. We want to destroy our marriage. We want, I, I, I want to show you that even those who are not followers of Jesus, there's something because we're made in this image of God that longs for this. I love this band called the Avet Brothers. Maybe some of you have heard them. They've got a great song about the divorce separation blues. And, they, and they, they touch on what I think the human soul so longs for and so fears. And these are the words. It says that one of every two is bound to be set aflame. One of every two marriages bound to be set aflame. That every level of resentment, responsibility, and blame. Well, now I'm bound to break a promise, one that I made before God and you. Man, I got a tough education. And there is no celebration in divorce separation blues. There's no celebration. There's only bad communication, worse interpretation, love deprivation, pain allocation, soul devastation, cold desolation, life complication. Oh, those are the divorce separation blues. Church, we have an opportunity as a church to put something on display that unbelieving friends and neighbors, they're actually longing to see. They want to see it. They long to see it. 
Perhaps the most thing, and I know the heart of this church, is to be on mission. So proud of you guys. So proud of you. Perhaps the one thing that will be more missional than anything you do is to have compelling marriages that put on display the yielding to Christ, the sacrificial love of Christ, Christ's triumph over sin. May that be, may that be what defines King's Church. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.